Season 2 of How to Win Arguments with Numbers. We look at how statistics can inform our understanding of the human world. I am your host, Jack Bridgewater. Today we talk to Professor Robert Erickson from Columbia University about his research into American voting behaviour and more specifically the upcoming US midterm elections on November 6th, where 35 seats in the Senate and 435 seats in the House of Representatives will be contested. So thanks for joining us, Robert. And if I could start off by asking you a bit about what your research is on, and then after that, we'll go into uh, more detail about the U.S. midterms. Yeah, uh, most of my research is on U.S. elections with uh, I have some concentration in, in congressional elections. And in recent years, I've done some work on, on forecasting mid, uh, congressional elections, including midterm elections. OK, so. How, 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 do, how should we think about midterm elections differently to presidential elections? Obviously, there's no president on the ballot, and the president is such a focus of our attention. But the midterm is like a mid, offers a potential mid-course correction for the president. So almost always, almost always in the midterm, with rare exception, I should add, the presidential party loses to the midterm. And they're in both in both the House, particularly in the House and usually the Senate. And the question is how much? And often the question then is also, well, which party controls the House or the Senate? And for many years, for decades leading into 1994, for about 40 years, the Democrats always controlled the House. So it was just a matter of by how much. Over the past 25 years or so, there's been a contest as to which party is going to control the House and as well as the Senate. So, And of course, party in the U.S. matters more than it used to. So the real question is, who's going to control the House? Are the Democrats going to get the House back? And, and most people think it's likely. The other question is, which party is going to control the Senate? That's, that's tougher for the Democrats because of the seats that are up, up for election this year. And so I, I, read, I read a bit of your research uh, about midterm elections. And one, one of the common kind of uh, perceptions is that midterms acts as a referendum on the president. So the reason that the sitting party does worse is because uh, people are voting negatively against the president. But um, that, that isn't always the case, is it? So there's this idea of balance theory. So could you explain a little bit more about that? Okay, so the, the referendum part is not totally wrong because the degree to which the the presidential party loses seats is a function is is basically a referendum. In other words, the worse the president is seen is doing, the more seats they lose. Yet only the most popular of presidents would actually gain seats. So the balance argument is that in presidential years, the uh, 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 well, whoever wins the presidency uh, is going to be seen as either to the left or to the right of the median voter, so, because if the Democrats are going to be, they have to be the left, the Republican to the right, and so the mid, and so for the median, to use the median voter logic, the median voter has uh, will see the policy as as either in, in the case of a Republican president too far to the right. So the way to offer correction is to offer an increasing number of, of Democrats to balance out the president. And that's that's the general argument. So if policy is a comp is a composite 
of the presidential wish list plus Congress, but the act plus the composition of Congress, that basically the more Democrats you elect to offset a Republican president. So that's so that's why that's why we see a, tend to see a, a, a move toward balance. Okay, so voters have some conception of there should be a uh, you know a balance between the two parties. So obviously going into to every election. Uh, we've had this in the UK recently, you know, the, the, the focus now is often on the polls and are the polls getting it right or how have they done in the past? And, and often people um, perceive polls quite negatively now. They think they're usually not very accurate. But that isn't always the case in, in, in political science. We tend to think sometimes more favorably about polls. So could you could you talk about kind of the polls in recent elections and, and whether how accurate they have Well, I, I, the, the polls generally are more accurate than they're given credit for. For example, we could say that the 2016 presidential election was an upset because the polls showed Hillary was going to win, but Hillary did win the popular vote and the polls showed it to be close. And it wasn't that big an upset in the polls. Um, and uh, when we come to Congress, Elections, the content, a lot of the focus is on the generic ballot polls. Basically, where you ask which party you're going to, are you going to vote for for the House of Representatives, Democrats or the Republicans, or which party do you want to win control the House, one of the two. And these polls have a certain degree of accuracy once you're taking into account some additional factors. For example, they tend to the margin tends to overestimate the actual winning margin, so. If, if the poll were in, um, uh, let's say, in, in midsummer, you probably want to cut the margin in half. In other words, if, if the poll in, in midsummer said the Democrats by eight, you might well say, predict the Democrats by four points. Uh, that 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 disparity de, uh, disappears as the election approaches. And also, the, the whoever's uh, the presidential party has has the winds going against it, so that. Uh, at any given moment, the polls you want to give a few extra bonus points to the out party, and that, and particularly if it's early in the campaign, so that uh, whereas the, right now the Democrats seem comfortably ahead in terms of who's going to win the most votes, uh, they might be less certain if 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 let's say they had the same margin and Hillary Clinton were the president at the moment, because because the the out party tends to be the one that gains between the time of the poll and and the actual election. So that's once you factor those in, the generic ballot is pretty is fairly is is accurate. In fact, it might even say at least as accurate as presidential polls. But you have to you have to know how to read the formula. Now the other question is. Uh, so the Democrats, let's say in this election, are almost certainly to get the most votes. It'd be a real surprise if we didn't. But how many votes do you need in order to win the control of the House is the other question. And that's harder to predict. And, and what, what are the challenges uh, for pollsters, you know, comparing kind of statewide polls to nationwide polls and interpreting the kind of relationship between the two? That is, I think that's an open question. Like how good are, for example, are statewide polls? Uh, one question I don't know the answer to, but I'm trying to, working and trying to figure out is how accurate are those congressional district polls we're beginning to see? And I think they have some, I think they have predictive value we need to take into account. 
and but, but how much I'm not I'm not sure at this moment. Uh, and we're going to see increasing number of polls in congressional districts sort of seem to be competitive, and they're probably going to be tell us a story. But we don't know right now. I don't know how confident we should be in those. Uh, but but I'm, right now I'm looking at I'm going to be looking at. Uh, at uh, the congressional district polls in earlier elections to, to gauge their accuracy in the past. Okay. Um, so I suppose, you know, the big, <laughs> the big question of looming over the, the midterms coming up from an outsider's perspective is, you know, everything seems so different uh, with Trump in power, you know, just coming off the back of the recent uh, op-ed for the New York Times. Uh, for, for, from a layman's perspective, it seems like we're in uncharted territories. But what are the chances that that actually, you know, converts into a, you know, historic victory for the Democrats? You know, is it just uh, the perception that things are different or does it look like things are actually different on the ground? In terms of this election, I think that uh, there's a still a range of outcomes. In other words, I suppose there's a... a Fairly remote chance, but a real chance that the Democrats will just miss out on, win on, on winning the House. I think it's very likely, however, that they win. A likely model might be 2006, where they went, got the House back for four years in 2006 when Bush was president. Uh, I think they needed 21 or 22 seats, and they got 30. And... Um, <clears throat> Something like that this time is a, is a likely outcome. There's also a, a possibility for a democratic tsunami, or in other words, a big, a big, huge wave. And one reason for that is because we talk about a Republican gerrymander where many Republicans see the Republicans have a, basically try to block the Democrats everywhere by building basically a dike by 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 how they draw district lines. But if you build this dike too broadly and shallow and not too high everywhere, then basically, I hate this analogy, too far, this analogy of water rushing over a dike, but we're talking about waves. So it, that basically, you could have the wave uh, overrun the dikes everywhere. And that, because the rules state that they have to, when they make the district lines, that you have to have very strict about equal rep equal number of people per district, not so much how you draw those district lines. So that there is a constraint, and they work within those that constraint to an extreme degree uh, that many many Republicans could be swept out. Now another consideration is that many of the seats that are now looked fairly safe by for the Republicans based on past elections are there for two reasons. One, they were not it was not a democratic year, so so and secondly that because it was not, the Democrats didn't contest these seats much. They put their effort in the past where to save what they could and to win what they could. And so let's say if a Republican won a seat by let's say sixty forty in twenty sixteen and twenty fourteen, they look pretty safe. But there's there's but what's different now is two things. One, the Democrats look better in the polls. That is, they're going to surge in the votes. So that maybe takes them from 60 to 55. I'm just making up some numbers. But then, um, or maybe less than 55. But also, this means that the, Demo the part of the equation is the de Democratic effort. And 
You're replacing a subpar effort with a vigorous effort, and that's the extra extra margin that can carry some of these seats over to the Democratic Party. So it's quite possible that that this this will happen. For example, in in 2006, it was something of a surprise until the last minute that the Republican that the Republicans lost the House, and like I said, it's fairly the Democrats fairly comfortable fairly comfortably. If the vote margin nationwide had been one percentage point more democratic, in other words, instead of winning 54% of the vote, they had won 55. That they would have won 10 more seats, which would have been a lot. And so the, the Republicans, in a way, were, in a sense, were sort of lucky that they didn't lose worse. And so and at some point, that exact margin becomes a crucial where you go from, hey, maybe the Democrats win to Democrats win by a fair, by a, a win, win big. And how and we just don't know how that's going to play out. OK, that's interesting. And am I right in thinking that um, the people that tend to turn out for the midterm elections, that favors that demographic can favor the Republican Party? Well, I think the the. I think that, that we always think that the turnout favor the turnout is the explanation for the outcome, and and I, I'm a little skeptical about that. In other words, that Republicans stay home and the Democrats are energized, is, and there's it, probably there's going to be some asymmetry there. But I, I but I think it's how people what the people in the middle do is, matters as well. And another factor is that maybe particularly in recent elections. Why the Democrats did so poorly in 2010 and 2014 midterms was because more than in the past they count on the youth vote, and the youth vote is most questionable. And and before before the, let's say before this century, Democrats and Republicans you know did not divide that much in age. In other words, the youth were that not much different from the older ones, so it didn't make any difference. But if the youth vote is critical to the Democrats' chances and they don't turn out, that could be a, a factor. And so the question is, is this year going to be different? Or are they could conceivably they just stay home like they did in 2014? They'll show up in presidential elections and then drop out. So what is going to happen? So in the past elections, let's say it's an approximate statistic, let's say in 2010 or 2014, maybe people over 65 are three times as likely to vote as people in their 20s. And that's a, and, uh, and the people, the retirees are, of course, of course, more, more Republican than the youth vote. So that made, that made a difference. So how big a deal is that going to be this year? And of course, the general question is, in the past, under the best of circumstances, no more than half of the eligible voters, whoever they are, vote in midterm elections. This year, I presume, it's going to be much higher turnout than usual, but uh, uh, how easy is it, going to, is it going to be to predict who they are? And we have a message from the from the, from the by-elections we've had, which uh, special elections, which would indicate that the Democrats are energized, but, but then does that carry over to to the, uh, to the midterm. Another factor is that, of course, other groups like these days, the college educated seem to be the Democratic base. African Americans voted at a high rate, so that's not a problem for the necessarily. Um, uh, Hispanic Americans at a low rate, so that th th these are all part of the equation that we'll find out how it works out in the end. Yeah, and and I, and I think a good follow-up question for that is. 
the we've had some recent upsets in uh, primaries with with uh, candidates for Democrats who are associated with, on the the left of the Democratic Party having surprise wins. And could could that you know could that speak to to whether we expect a higher youth turnout or African American turnout? One consideration is that where the African American vote is heaviest, the, the which party is going to win is not in contention. So to some extent, worrying about the African-American vote at, 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 at midterm is less important. But again, the African-American vote is not that low compared to other groups. The group the Democrats have to worry about is energizing the young voters who presumably are now part of their base. And of course, young voters are everywhere across all districts. So that's why it matters. Uh, Highly educated, particularly those with a post uh, uh, bachelor degree. In other words, with with a, with a postgraduate education, are among the most heavily Democratic voters, and they vote heavily. So that works in the Democratic favor. And of course, people with a, with an advanced degree are spread across all districts. So that matters everywhere. So I guess my question then is that does does the Bernie Sanders led progressive part of the Democratic Party speak more to those voters, or do we not know? We, we don't know about the progressive energy. Now, I think if we look at the, we look at the uh, elections that we've seen, both primaries and general, and, and special elections in the last two years, we see both the energy on the left, and also, uh, as in a special election in Pennsylvania, a strong and, and the election in Alabama as well for the Senate, a willingness to support Democratic candidates who might be regarded as relatively moderate as opposed to progressive. So the Democrats, I think, are not really divided in the sense that they different Democrats represent different constituencies and they are united, of course, in the, in the main issue, which is they want to win and they want Trump to lose. And what about the divide on the Republican side? So you have Republicans that are from the old guard, and then you have those that are, um, you know, more affiliated with Trump. So is there a sense of division in the Republican Party? That is a very interesting question, because what kind of events are going to cause Republicans to commit to how strongly they support Trump, and how is that, how is that going to matter? In other words, we see that Republicans generally in, in Congress are afraid, seem to be afraid to to uh, uh, to go against Trump for fear of retribution and uh, in order to be singled out. On the other hand, it might be an advantage in the general election by to, to, to distance himself from Trump. But still on the third hand, of course, they want to energize their base, but their base are enthusiastic, Republican-based tends to be enthusiastic Trump supporters, so they might have a delicate balance to play politically. Because is it right that, you know, partisanship counts for slightly less in the midterms than it does in the presidential? So it could be that, you know, those Republicans that were anti-Trump in the presidential voted for him anyway, but this time they might think, no, I've had enough and I'm going to change my vote this time. Uh, the, the midterm elections tend to be actually tend to be quite partisan. One reason, one reason being that the apolitical people, people who aren't very uh, politically involved, 
but but might get involved in a presidential race, but not a midterm. They're the ones who are not so partisan. So the midterm elections in part are left to the partisans to decide. And that is why we think of it as, a, in part, we think of it as a tug of war between each party's base. But that we should not forget the independent voters in the middle. There are going to be plenty of those who still help to decide the election. But less so than presidential year, where, where the, where the uh, added, more independent voters show up. Okay, um, so t to finish then, uh, if we could just kind of do what would be a good night for the Democrats and what would be a good night for the Republicans? Well, a, a good night for the Democrats certainly would be to decisively win the House of Representatives. A great night would be to also win the Senate, which increasingly people are thinking is possible and once you start thinking something is possible that previously was unlikely, maybe it becomes more likely, really. And for the Republicans, a good night will probably be to hold the Senate, to not lose the Senate, which, of course, is still quite still the, the most likely outcome. And of course, if they held the, the House, that would be a. a... If, they, if the Republicans could hold the House, that would be great news for the Republicans. The Democrats will have to, would have to resort to thinking that it's really going to get bad, so it's going to be good for us in the next election. And I'm sure if the Republicans do hold the House, then Trump's Twitter feed will <laughs> be nonstop for a while. That's right. You can make an argument, by the way. You can make an argument that the Republicans, in a way, gain in the long term by losing the, losing the midterm. In other words, in 2020... If the, if, the, if the background is going to be the Republicans held the House instead of the Democrats, they'll provide extra effort for the Democrats, whereas the Democrats control particularly both houses. The Republicans might have an argument that you've got to keep, keep the presidency in Republican hands to block them. So, so there's a long-term argument that it can backfire, but people are interested in the short term, and the short term here is very important. So I don't think people are thinking that much about about that kind of long-term gain from actually losing, which, <laughs> which is sort of a overly sophisticated thinking, perhaps. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Um, okay, well, thanks so much. That was great. Well, it was my pleasure. It was fun. This has been House Win Arguments with Numbers, which is a production by the Q-Step Centre and the University of Kent. Thanks again to Professor Robert Erickson for coming on the show.